That's Donna Summer. Singing her splendiferous on the radio from November of 1979. The lyrics of this song are by Donna Summer. And truly, this is the sound of the end of the 1970s. All that melancholy? It sounds almost like a funeral dirge for the end of what people have always called disco. And in truth, it was. We're talking about Miss Summer and how American culture tried to kill the genre that she led like Lady Godiva. This is chapter 27 in the third season of your Black Girl Songbook. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I am Danielle Smith, host of Black Girl Songbook, longtime music and culture journalist and author of the forthcoming Shine Bright, a very personal history of Black women in pop. Like you, I'm a music lover. Music holds a very big and very emotional space in my life. In many ways, music is, as Martha Wash sings in Everybody Dance Now, the music is my life. The goal of every episode is to tell the stories of Black women in music with rigor and passion and detail, to give Black women in music the credit we are due. I'm sending love and strength to you in these very wild times. I'm hoping you and yours are well and that you have time to, um, register to vote and vote, and that you also are holding time out for yourself, for care and for daydreaming and for doing the things that bring you joy, like dancing to and listening to music. Like listening to Donna Summer, who was born LaDonna Adrian Gaines in Boston, the Roxbury part of Boston, the Mission Hill part of Roxbury. She was born on the literal eve of 1949. Big boomer energy. Yes, indeed. Big Capricorn energy. I'm married to a Capricorn, and whether or not you believe everything about astrology, there do seem to be some traits in those born in December and January that are all about ambition and work and making a huge impact on one's community. I mean, let me just name a few caps, right? Sade, Zora Neale Hurston, Michelle Obama, Mary J. Blige, Regina King, Issa Rae, Shonda Rhimes, Debbie Allen, Dolly Parton, Denzel Washington, LeBron James, Lin-Manuel Miranda, John Legend, Tyrese Gibson, Bradley Cooper. Listen, Aaliyah was a Capricorn and so was Betty White. I'm not saying this is science, right? But there is some true magic involved in creating music and other kinds of art. And this list of creative, ambitious, hard workers, which is obviously far from complete, what a list feels quite, to me at least, enchanted. It's how Donna Summer sounds. It's how she always sounded. Enchanted. Dazzling. 
She kept us spellbound. All of Donna's music is gospel-based rhythm and blues with Broadway bombast and soaring bravery. It takes big bravery to be a Black woman pop star, and Donna's one of our biggest. She's usually, almost always actually, referred to as a disco queen or a queen of disco. When in fact, she is a queen of pop, the people's choice, and one of the more influential singers in the history of recorded music. The sales tell the story. Record-breaking. Record-breaking. The radio play tells the story. Record-breaking. Her influence on culture, we're going to talk more about it, but it's lasting. Her legacy is lasting. Donna Summer released a folky kind of album called Lady of the Night over in the Netherlands because she was living over near that part of the world. Donna had left Boston for Germany right before her high school graduation with her parents' blessings, and her family was a strict church-going family. I'm quoting her. I came from a lower middle class black family, Summer told Penthouse in 1979. My mother and father worked real hard. My father worked three jobs. He struggled like hell to keep our house. I truly wish I had a good, like, Boston accent to do Donna's voice in because she kept it the whole of her life, even after living in Europe for many, many years. Donna's mother and father were parents to seven children. Little LaDonna loved music from the word go. She grew up listening to Mary Wells. The Supreme. Barbara Streisand. Can it be that it was so simple Martha and the Vandellas. And the Dixie Cups, Chapel of Love. Her favorite, though, was Mahalia Jackson. In a 2008 interview with ABC's Nightline, Donna Summer cited Mahalia Jackson's I Found the Answer as her first spiritual inspiration and the reason that she became a singer. I found the answer. This is the first song that Donna Summer sang solo in church at the age of eight. But by the time she got to Germany, starring in a production of the Broadway musical Hair over there, she'd already been back and forth a bunch to New York City, surviving in what was then the very arty neighborhood of Greenwich Village. She almost got signed by... RCA, but something, something just wasn't right. 
but she had her goals. She wanted to be a professional singer. She wanted to be a star. That's what she had been dreaming of. That's what she had been working toward and at since she was a tween and a teenager. It took time. She was doing all kinds of things over in Germany, like backup singers, you know, session singer. She was a part of an opera company over there for a while, always doing theater. It wasn't until her eighth year in Germany that things popped off. It was with a song called Love to Love You, Baby. This was 1975. And summer, she was running around with like a crew of creatives over there, right? And summer brought her crew a lyric or two of what would become Love to Love You, Baby. 1975. This was when the whole Watergate scandal was happening. This was the era of like Godfather II winning all of the Academy Awards. This was when, may he rest in peace, Arthur Ashe became the first black person to win the men's singles title at Wimbledon, beating the quote-unquote overwhelming favorite, Jimmy Connors. Uh, I don't think my parents were survived. I don't... I don't think my parents and their friends were surprised. I think they knew Arthur was going to be holding that trophy over his head. But this was the era, right? And in this era, Giorgio Moritor, who'd been having some modest hits, you know, here and there as a composer, and who would continue to be a Donna Summer creative partner for years to come. I'm quoting him. We really just thought of Love to Love You Baby as a bit of fun. I'd suggested doing a sexy song. And one afternoon, Donna came to the office and said she'd come up with the title, Love to Love You Baby. That sounded good to me. Back then, I had a studio in the basement of my Munich apartment building called Musicland. So I went straight down there and composed the song. A day or two later, Donna came in and we did a very rough demo. The rough eventually became this. I was a child, but I recall when the song broke because it seemed like every time it came on in front of me, somebody would turn the radio station. You know, it was just, I was too young for it. And I guess maybe that was right. But as these things go, if you try to hide something from a child, we're going to find it, which I did. And I loved the record. How could I not? I like the big songs of that era. I like Love Will Keep Us Together as much as anybody. Love Will Keep Us Together from The Captain and Tennille. I love that record. 
But love to love you blew through all the Captain and Tennille, Glenn Campbell, and Neil Sadaka energy like a cyclone. Even Earthling and Fire and Elton John had to sit back because love to love you was all of the metaphors. It was a sea change. It was an earthquake. It was a whole new goddamn day. Quoting Donna, I just made up the voice for that song, she said in 79. I found a hole in the market, a loophole. And that's how I got my foot in the door. That was a big foot, not your basic ordinary foot. And it boosted me up a long, long way from my Boston roots. It was Donna giving us black female desire, black female orgasm. And the long version of the song, the one made for the new discotheque DJs of the time, the version that worked, was over 17 minutes long. Ooh, listen. International hit. And to quote Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. Big, huge. Number two pop hit in the United States of America. Number three R&B hit in the United States of America. All over the radio in the U.S. and around the world. The song is truly the reason for what came to be known as a 12-inch single. Yet it was a whole scandal. Again, turn the music down that, you know, the kids are in here. Listen, if you didn't hear Love to Love You Baby, you know, when it was out and fresh and like wilding out on pop radio, which was, man, it was exciting. The song lives on in everything from, listen, Diana Ross's vocals for 1976's Love Hangover. I mean, listen, we're about to just going to play a snatch. Donnie has it on deck. But clearly, Ms. Ross was inspired by Miss Summer. You can hear Love to Love You Baby in one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite rap groups, Digital Underground. It's right there in 1990s Freaks of the Industry. None other than Beyonce both samples and interpolates Donna's Love to Love You in her 2004 Naughty Girl. Listen to B. Go. Summer stepped in and changed the game. Disco had begun and she started it. I mean, soon thereafter came Vicky Sue Robinson's Turn the Beat Around. The OJs had I Love Music. And Thelma Houston's Don't Leave Me This Way. I mean, Donna Summers swung the door open for all of that. The Bee Gees, who get so much of the credit for being like the definition of disco, 
The Bee Gees and the massive soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever came two years after Love to Love You Baby. Even Gloria Gaynor's epic I Will Survive was 1978. And also in 1978, in response to Saturday Night Fever, there was a film co-produced by Motown and Casablanca Records that functioned as a West Coast racially integrated shout back at 1977's all-white Brooklyn set Saturday Night Fever. The movie was called Thank God It's Friday. Maybe it was fate. Maybe it was just Friday. But it was a night none of them will ever forget. Thank God it's Friday. Rated PG. I saw it in the theater. I can get chills right now just thinking about seeing all the... It was like a multicultural like whole mix of people on the screen just like dancing and having a good time and having a sad time and being worried and Donna Summer's character you know was trying to become a star and I just don't know that I had seen that many people of different races just kind of acting normal with each other on the big screen and the soundtrack It featured artists like the Commodores and Cameo. And it's a joy. You know, it's fine. It's good. But Last Dance, performed by Donna Summer, that was a number three pop hit, but that's not the half. The other part is the cultural impact and the critical acclaim. Last Dance won the Academy Award for Best Original Song and the Golden Globe for Best Original Song. It also won the Grammy for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. I don't even need all of that, though, to know that it's a perfect record. Donna, that tall church girl from Boston, had arrived. Let's listen to Last Dance in full. And on the other side of it, we'll talk about, quote unquote, disco, the tribe of which Donna was leader. And how she and just disco in general were treated terribly, particularly by the radio industry. We're going to be talking about a riot that happened in Chicago that disco was at the center of. And when I say disco, I don't mean the music was there or at the center of it. I mean, there was a whole movement called Disco Sucks. Let's listen real quick to a little snatch of Donna Summer's Last Dance. And then we'll talk more about everything. So let's dance. Did you let that, like, sink into your soul? Are you feeling all those feelings? Because the song is amazing. It's the effervescence for me. The discipline of the vocal arrangement, that thing that Donna made famous, 
Like whenever you hear somebody doing that really slow, like ballady intro, and then it's like the explosion of so let like that, that's like her thing. That's that's the Donna Summer thing. Not to mention just all of that passion that's in Last Dance. As she says, the romance, the yearning, come on. And disco, and I, and I always put it in air quotes because it's like a made-up name. It's just a synonym for Black music as much as urban was and sometimes still is. Disco was systematically and angrily hated upon. There's no other way to explain it, but let me let me give it a try. I talk about disco a lot in Shine Bright, a very personal history of Black women in pop. And what I say kind of probably more than once is that while disco was an imperfect space that thrived on exclusivity emblems like velvet ropes and VIP sections, Once inside, where people were wearing the fresh fashions and doing the new dances, rock and the musical religion built up around the sanctity of the guitar was rendered just another vibrant movement and not automatically everlasting or better or more deep than anything else. That's why I like disco. And if you were a teen during these times and not necessarily a rock fan, it was like your heroes had suddenly been given a few superpowers because it was on the radio and it exists right between Motown, which is like, at least for my generation, Gen X, at least for my generation, is like everybody's mamas and aunties and uncles' music, right? We love it so much, Motown. But once disco came about, it was the beginning of like, also Motown isn't everything. Rock isn't everything. There's now this thing called disco. And see, then 10 years on, there came this very disco-influenced thing called hip-hop. So for us, I think we could smell the future. Like, what? Things were feeling very multicultural. The pictures coming out of Studio 54, the big famous disco in New York City, it just looked like Cary Grant was in there dancing with, you know, Diana Ross and Janet Jackson was like 12 years old in there partying with Cher, and then there's Andy Warhol. Oh, my God, there's Michael Jackson. Oh, my God, is that Grace Jones in the building, ladies and gentlemen, standing next to Elton John, ladies and gentlemen. Like, it really began to look like, oh, this world is moving in a whole new direction. Forget about segregation of spaces and spaces of entertainment and music and radio and just even high school dances, right? This was very scary to the status quo of that era. And let's be honest, 
It's scary to folks now. So the anti-disco movement, and it really was real. It was lasting and it was vitriolic. And truly, it won. Because you have to think like rock was dominant for like decades on decades from like what? The 19, uh, late 1940s or maybe before up and through like Motown, right? 60s, mid 60s, up and through the 70s, even the early 80s. And hip hop now has been around for over four decades. But the thing is, disco only has like that decade because folks killed it. I'm going to tell you one of the scarier moments in the anti-disco movement. I remember one just walking down the street. I was living in Los Angeles at that time. Um, I was a kid, 14, 15 or so. And you would see bumper stickers that said, disco sucks. You would see um, people, uh, mostly white people. I would say mostly white males, honestly wearing t-shirts that said on the front or on the back or both, disco sucks in all caps. So as I said earlier, disco to me has always just been a synonym for black. So when I'm seeing these things on the street, I'm thinking, so black music sucks? Blackness sucks? Like what is sucks? Like what? And so in 1979, there was this huge moment at a baseball game, a major league baseball game. It was between a White Sox doubleheader. So this was in Chicago. 50,000 people were caught up in chanting. All this while crates of disco records were set afire to and, you know, melted and exploded. This was the spectacle on the baseball diamond at a major league baseball game in 1979. The host of this quote unquote event was a recently fired rock DJ. See, because this is what was happening in the industry of radio in the late 70s is that disco had taken such a hold of the country culturally, that stations that had been barely surviving as rock stations were being sort of turned into black stations. You can say with a disco format, but most of the people making the disco records were black. So there was resentment, a lot of resentment about this phenomenon. So this recently fired rock DJ, he was again on a field of Major League Baseball. He was breaking vinyl disco records by slamming them on his head. There's a writer named Eve Barlow, and in 2016, she wrote, Some have argued that the disco sucks slash death to disco movement by rock fans was blind idiocy. But, she says, others have alluded to a more sinister attempt at 
an ethnic cleansing of the charts. As disco's origins were found predominantly in the black, Latino, and gay communities. End quote. Disco's origins are in the voices of women, black women, Donna Summer, Gloria Gaynor, Anita Bell, Diana Ross, Dionne Warwick, Thelma Houston, Candy Statton, and so many more. It got riotous at Comiskey Park. Except for some sporadic fireworks and the chanting of anti-disco slogans, up until then, the crowd was relatively under control. But just after Dahl left the field, a few youngsters jumped onto it. More and more followed. Soon, there was chaos. Details. Seats were ripped from rows by angry and drunk white people. Urinals were pulled from walls in men's rooms. It was very scary. For many older Blacks in Chicago, the white-centric energy was familiar. I mean, the actual baseball teams themselves, like the players, they were shut in their clubhouses for the sake of safety as 20,000 more people outside of the 50,000 in the ballpark The 20,000 more were outside the ballpark chanting, disco sucks, and they were out there damaging property. When I tell you that the White Sox had to forfeit the game to the Detroit Tigers, all of this drama, lightweight, maybe not even lightweight, terrorism, All of this because the emerging American culture with black women as its spine had shifted beneath white people's feet. Disco sucks. A mess. A frightening mess. And even outside of, I don't know, the violence of the disco sucks movement, Disco in music magazines and on radio stations, in newspapers, in the news magazines of the time, the influential spaces, those spaces, they often referred to disco as soulless, right? Even, it took even somebody like Don Cornelius of Soul Train Mr. Cornelius wasn't really on disco like that. I think he felt it was too much rhythm and not enough blues. But these other influential spaces, they often call disco not real music. What? Like, I mean, I'm a writer, I'm an author, and what if every day that I looked online, every single day, you know, dozens of times a day, Someone was saying that what I was making was soulless. And also that I myself, I clearly sold my soul or never had one or was giving it away um, just like cheaply and just to like make a life for myself uh, monetarily and creatively. So I was being told that, imagine if I was being told all the time that I had no soul, 
and that my art was not real. But yet this is my life. This is what people were saying about what they were calling disco. And Donna Summer was the leader of the genre. What must she have felt like being told relentlessly that you are not real and you have no soul? In 1979, Donna said, I'm always slightly depressive. My whole life is work, and it's always been work. Even when I'm home relaxing, I'm playing the piano or singing. I've always got to be doing something creative or constructive. I hate the feeling of doing nothing. Literally, I'm trembling right now just saying that because... You know, there's so much talk now in this era about, you know, rest is revolutionary and, you know, we need to reclaim our time and um, a lot of talk about work-life balance and just because you're good or great at something doesn't mean that you actually have to do it all the time. But Donna isn't in this era. So it's just like, girl... Bless her whole and entire soul. There are so many records. She did so much work. She had a double album go to the top of the Billboard album charts, and I think twice. She created indelible songs like MacArthur Park. Hot stuff. Bad girls. Bad girls. About the sad girls. Not to mention, no more tears, enough is enough. It's a 1979 duet with Barbara Streisand that went to number one pop and continues to evoke strength and power and joy every time someone presses play. I love that record. What's not to love about that record? Like that record is everything. They're at the top of their game, these two women. The song was written by Bruce Roberts and Paul Jabara and Roberts, who has also written for Cher, Katie Lang, Dolly Parton, and Whitney Houston, talked about Donna Summer after she died of lung cancer in May of 2012. People don't give her enough credit, he said, for being such a brilliant writer and changing pop music, which she did. Electronic dance music is based on what she did when she started. She really started a whole genre. She was always called the queen of disco, but it was so much broader than that. End quote. I think you would have liked um, Black Girl Songbook. This Mr. Roberts. Donna Summer was inducted posthumously in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013. This is after she was snubbed four times. Like, 
She invented a whole genre, but she was snubbed not one, not two, not three, but four times. It's a Black girl songbook tragedy that Donna Summer never got to see and feel herself being inducted into the Rock Hall. These things, Grammys, these things, Rock Hall, these metrics are flawed without question, but they are what we have. Donna Summer left behind a devastated husband, a devastated husband and creative partner, Bruce Charles Sedano, and three daughters. She also left behind a reported $75 million estate. Here is Kelly Rowland, solo artist and one-third of Destiny's Child, talking about Donna Summer at the Rock Hall. Kelly walked her in. Kelly walked her in and Jennifer Hudson sang Bad Girls and Last Dance. And it's time to dim the lights, sweet darlings, because we're about to induct another queen into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm talking about the woman known to the world as the queen of disco, Miss Donna Summer. Can you hear it in Kelly's voice? The love and respect that she has for Donna Summer. People talk about Kelly Rowland portraying Donna Summer in a biopic. I could see it. I could see it. It'll be 10 years this year in May that Donna Summer has been gone. It bothers me that at the end of so many episodes of Black Girl Songbook, I have to say, may she rest in eternal peace. But it's a sincere wish. It's a sincere wish because the walk through life, not to be a downer, not to take away from the joy of her life and her family and her music, but the walk through life was not peaceful. But that's why I'm here and you're here taking care of business and giving Black women in music, the credit we are due. Okay, season three, episode one of season three is Aretha Franklin and daydreaming and all about Aretha Franklin's mom and her grandmother and the joy and love in songs like daydreaming in particular. So do check that out because it's just the beginning. Aretha Franklin, Donna Summer. We've got so many amazing things planned. It's also our Shine Bright season. My book, Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women and Pop, is available right now for pre-order. It's very similar in theme and even in some ways content. A Black Girl Songbook, but it is also a merge of memoir and biography, and really it's the pride and joy of my life. This is the part, this is the part where I say, can we please stay in touch? You know I am always on 
Twitter, doing the extra most, as well as on Instagram, sharing a little bit of life, a little bit of culture, and a little bit of music whenever I can. My name on both platforms is Danamo, D-A-N-A-M-O, and Team Black Girl Songbook is a brilliant, a boss-ass ringer crew. They keep this whole situation together, episode by episode, and really line by line and beat by beat. Our producer is Trudy Joseph. Our audio producer is Donnie Beecham. We have Taj Rani as story consultant and DJ Steve Porter is on sound design. Our talent booker is Allison Turner and on additional production supervision, we have Juliet Littman and Chelsea Stark-Jones. Amanda Long is our publicist and Sean Fennessy is always nearby hovering with advice and much encouragement. Black Girl Songbook is here for you on Spotify via The Ringer. And now, guess what? You know this already, though, right? Now you can catch us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. On the way out, though, let's take Kelly Rowland's advice. We're going to listen to just a little bit of Donna Summer's Dim All the Lights. It's just, when I say it's a big record, yes, it was a big hit. Huge hit. But sometimes, you know, people say, as we've talked about, Donna Summer didn't have a lot of soul. First of all, rude. Second of all, untrue, wildly so. Third of all, I need not continue to convince you because all you have to do is listen to her in general and particularly to dim all the lights. Let's go, Donnie.